You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Welcome, everybody. It is great to have you join us. Uh, if I have the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, as Pastor Josh said in the video, thank you so much for just being generous and giving sacrificially uh, as God calls us to, that we can make a difference. And uh, Real quick before we jump into uh, God's word this morning, just want to mention next week is our Vision Sunday. You might be like, what's our Vision Sunday? We're going to be talking about, man, what did God do? Celebrate what God did in 2021. Uh, Even though maybe it was a difficult year, God did some amazing things. But also, looking forward to 2022, uh, you might not know this is our 50th anniversary as a church. And and we have some really exciting things planned for this year. So uh, look forward to that next Sunday. Uh, if you are a catalyst with us, uh, we'll be having a brief meeting after the service next Sunday just to vote on some of the uh, uh, things that we have to vote on uh, as far as uh, you know, being catalysts or members here at Calvary. So look forward to that next Sunday. Now, uh, we've been in this series following this story of Esther. If you haven't been with us. Now, one of the things I love about a good movie, if you like going to the movies or watching good movies, is watching the villain get what they deserve. I don't know if any of you were there. Some of you might be like, I like the villains. Well, you're not going to like today. But um, uh, we love to see the villains. Like, like, there's no better feeling than watching a villain who's terrorized, belittled, and tried to destroy everything in their path. Get what they have deserved. Uh, get what they had coming to them. Whether it's Biff in Back to the Future getting that truck full of manure. How many of you loved? That was a great moment. Or, or the toys in Toy Story finally getting Sid. Uh, this was a great moment. Or, or maybe, if this is a little older, the office building and the office space getting what it had coming thanks to Milton. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, sorry. Seeing sweet justice served is what audiences around the world love to watch. And it's even better when it actually happens in real life and you get to see it firsthand. The problem is, it feels like it so rarely actually happens. Like that, that boss that's so committed to the bottom line, regardless of the people they have to run over, or, or that coworker that will exploit whoever they need to just to succeed, or, or that parent that plays the PTA game really well at the detriment of your own kid and everyone else. Like these are the people that always seem to succeed and get ahead, leaving a trail of carnage behind them. And, and oftentimes we are that carnage. And I don't know about you, but this always bothers me. Like when all the people who play things the wrong way and do things the wrong way seem to succeed, seem to get ahead, seem to be one step ahead of everybody. And and it's not just me, but we see this frustration voiced throughout Scripture. Uh, Let's just look at, in the Old Testament, uh, these verses in the book of Job, as Job is kind of expressing this in Job chapter 21, verse 7. He says this, why do the wicked live on growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows, uh, their cows calf and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. What are they, what's Job saying? Why do all the people that do things the wrong way seem to have the best life? What's wrong with this? And you can hear the pain in his words, the, 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 the tinges of maybe even a little bitterness at the success 
of the wicked around him in contrast to the struggles that Job was experiencing. And, and while sweet justice, uh, uh, while we see sweet justice often in the movies, uh, the problem is it can seem like it rarely happens in our own lives. And as a result, we rush to bring about justice ourselves. Like if justice isn't going to find its way to that person or that situation, I'm going to make sure it does. And we hurt people. We attack people. Sometimes even belittle them, all in the name of justice. Now I've seen this happen so often in recent years, especially on social media. And in this real life story that we've been following throughout this month of Esther, there is a very clear villain that stands out. It's a man named Haman who who had tricked the king of Persia, King Xerxes, into issuing a decree to kill all the Jews across the empire on this one specific day. The the then uh, queen of Persia, a woman named Esther, who was Jewish but had kept it a secret, invites the king and his second in command, Haman, to this private exclusive dinner. Following the dinner, Haman's pride swelled to such an extent that at the sight of one of the palace attendants, who was also Jewish, Mordecai, he becomes enraged and began to make plans to have him impaled on this giant pole. And as we left things last week, that plan was soon foiled as King Xerxes instead ordered Haman to, to honor Mordecai with a parade rather than impaling him on the pole because of Mordecai's efforts to un, that where he uncovered an assassination attempt on the king. Now, today we're picking things up in Esther chapter 7. As Queen Esther has invited King Xerxes and Haman back for a second dinner party on the evening of the parade for Mordecai and a day after the first dinner. So uh, Esther had invited King Xerxes and Haman to this dinner, private exclusive dinner. Haman felt like he was bigger than life because he was one of the only people besides the king invited. And his head's really big. And then he sees uh, Mordecai there and he gets angry. and, And long story short, basically, as I mentioned he ends up ushering Mordecai through the streets of Susa for a parade rather than having him killed. Now that evening, Esther invites them back for a second dinner party. Now today, uh, we're we're looking at what transpires from there. We're going to pick it up, Esther chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Now, understand, a whole lot has taken place over the course of these 24-hour period, from the first dinner party to the second one. Uh, Haman had plans, uh, had made plans to have Mordecai killed, but Xerxes gave orders to have Mordecai honored. Haman demanded everyone worship him, but instead found himself humiliated, while Mordecai, who refused to worship Haman, was celebrated. So many emotions are packed into this one 24-hour period, but now we're at the second dinner party, and, and, and it was just as elaborate and festive as the first, and as the wine flows and the food's brought in, Haman's sorrows from earlier in the day start to fade. He's settling in. He's like, okay, I'm still the man. This was a new moment. A new moment, and, and Haman was once again enjoying being the exclusive guest at the dinner party with king and queen of the Persian Empire. And as King Xerxes had done the night before in the first dinner, he offers the queen anything she wants up to half the kingdom. Last night, Esther had deferred. She's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't need anything. Uh, that, it can wait. Tonight was a different story, though. This was Esther's moment. 
As Esther's heart is beating out of her chest, she speaks up. It's in verse 3 and 4. She says this, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition. Listen to this. And spare my people. This is my request. Verse 4. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Now, if you can leave that up on the screen there real quick. Here's what's really interesting about this this statement by Esther. For the very first time, she has now connected her fate with her people's fate. For the first time, she wasn't just Esther, the queen of Persia. She was Esther, a Jewish woman. This was the first time that that she was public about this. She isn't hiding her roots or heritage. She has now embraced it. Esther, the queen, has revealed who she really was. She is connected. The fate of these people that have been basically ordered to be killed with her own fate. And as she speaks, a hush surely fell across the room. King Xerxes' mind is racing. Who would ever plot to kill my queen's people? And with all the righteous indignation that Xerxes has, he quickly demands it. Like, who is it? Verse 5. Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Now, if you were sitting in the seat with Haman, uh, his heart was had to have been beating out of his chest. He was probably shaking a little bit. Esther quickly and boldly gives Xerxes the answer he was seeking, but Haman was dreading. Verse 6. And Esther said, An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman... I can just picture her declaring these words as she points across the table at Haman. Haman slowly sliding down in his chair as his glass drops to the floor and his jaw drops. Xerxes, on the other hand, was furious. He storms out of the room. He has been duped. His second in command has tricked him into ordering the death of the queen of Persia's people. As Xerxes leaves, Haman quickly falls to the ground, begging Esther for mercy. He, he's, he's hoping that maybe the queen will relent. The, mer- the irony runs really deep here. The same man that was ready to kill a Jew for not bowing down before him is now begging at the feet of another Jew to save his own life. Guards soon enter the room. They hood him and take him away. One of the king's officials is standing there looking out the window and he notices there's this 75-foot pool out the window. And he's like, what are we going to do with Haman? And the king's official has this thought. Here's what he says. He leans over to the king with this suggestion as he points out the window. Verse 9. A pool reaching a height of 50 cubits, which is 75 feet, stands by Haman's house. He set it up for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. No sooner had the words left the official's mouth and King Xerxes quickly gives the nod and pale him. Now, while this is far from the end of the story, which we'll conclude next week on our Vision Sunday, I want to highlight something that's really important about this story that's really easy to overlook if we're not careful. The God we sing about, the God we worship, the God we dedicate ourselves to, he is a just God. Nothing ever outruns him. Nothing 
evades his sight. The wicked will not win even when it appears for a little while that they are. I know it's so difficult to watch people that have hurt you or wronged you, mistreated you, or done horrific things against you succeed, to to be seemingly happy or to enjoy life in any way. It can stir up rage, resentment, and frustration against them. But I want you to hear this. Nothing ever escapes God. He is a just God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. In NIV it says, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. I like the ESV version. Here's what it says. Consider therefore the kindness uh, and, and severity of God. You can't have one without the other. Yes, our God is incredibly kind, but he is also severe. This is an attribute we don't talk a whole lot about. There are a lot of songs about his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy. I haven't heard too many, though, about his wrath and his punishment. The Bible, though, is not quiet on this topic. In fact, God's wrath is mentioned in Scripture over 150 times. Do you know that uh, his mercy is mentioned only 32 times? Now, let me be clear. It is right to talk about God's goodness. After all, he is a good God, but he is also a just God. God's grace flows to those who put their trust in him, but his justice comes for those who disregard and dismiss him. And for some of us today, this is a word of caution. God sees what has been done in secret. God knows the things you've been hiding and thought you're getting away with. Nothing escapes his view. Today's affair is tomorrow's divorce. Today's indulgence is tomorrow's addiction. Today's dishonesty is tomorrow's dismissal. Romans 2.6 says, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. For others of you, though, today, this is a word of comfort. The Hamans in your life who are seemingly succeeding at making your life and everyone around them miserable, those that seem like they're getting away with it all, Maybe you echo those words of Job I read earlier, why do the wicked live on growing old and increasing in power, or or the words of the prophet Jeremiah, why does the way of the wicked prosper, why are they doing so well? Does that bring, does those, do those that bring wickedness into this world get a free pass for some reason? Do the Hamans of this world, the bullies, those that embody evil itself, do they get away with their schemes? The Bible has an answer to those questions and it's a resounding no. Acts 17.31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. That boss that made you feel like a worthless peon, God sees. That heartless person that stole your innocence, God sees. That that racist that spoke with such hate against you, God sees. That, That bully at school or in your workplace that just puts you down constantly, God sees it all. God is a just God. And we should celebrate his goodness, but never forget his justice. We should celebrate his goodness, but never forget his justice. And the question might be, you know, what about the millions of people enslaved around the world in sweatshops, in sex trafficking? Has God somehow missed the tragedy 
and degradation of his creation that's taking place all across the globe. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And as God's righteous indignation burns, he's really clear about his response. Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. So the question is, what do we do with these? Do we just wait for God's justice to come? Do we cry out to God on their behalf? Well, well, God is telling us, I've sent you as the solution. You are my ambassadors to the injustice of this world. A few weeks ago, I shared a passage that God has put on my heart for our church, I believe, for this moment, this time. Uh, It's found in Isaiah chapter 61. I believe so strongly it's an important word for us as a church. But let me give you a little of the background context to that chapter, uh, what takes place there. The, the prophet Isaiah lived at a time where injustice and immorality were rampant everywhere. He wasn't living among perfect religious people, but among people that had lost their way, had walked away from truth, and had embraced evil. In Isaiah 59, verse 15, he, he writes this, Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased, but there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. And, and for God, it wasn't enough for God's people to cry out for justice, to even desire justice. But he called them to be carriers of justice. Can I tell you, we can sit in our nice, comfortable homes and see justice that needs to be done around the world and hope for it and wish for it and pray for it. But God hasn't asked us just to do that. He's asked us to be carriers of justice. This is what he said in Isaiah 68, verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You see, justice happens not when we uh, get revenge for those that have wronged us, but when we align ourselves with God's view of what's fair and just. I love watching restoration shows and the talented people that restore old cars. I don't know if any of you like any of those shows, you know, watching them take this dilapidated house and breathe life back into it or take this old 57 Chevy or, or GTO and, and, and breathe life back into it. To, uh, you know, been rusted out and everything and at the end of the show you get to see it shiny and new and running like it once was. <clears throat> like, I love those shows. And, and I, 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 as I've watched them, it takes a really special skill to be able to restore an old house or an old car. But I believe it is something incredibly holy to restore human dignity. This is something I've watched so many people over the course of this last year do. These last month, six weeks, I've watched Pastor Michael do this over and over and over again as he's sitting bedside with person after person as they're nearing the end of their lives. His God-given ability to care for people at their lowest moments is so 
beautiful and remarkable to witness. Or, or uh, someone from our church, Heather Atwood, who works for Catholic Charities. About six months ago, she was working with a young Afghan woman through her pregnancy, uh, but this new mother needed more help than just help with her pregnancy. Her family was trapped in Afghanistan as the nation was in collapse. Heather didn't just shrink back to the challenge, but working with the Dutch embassy, they were able to set, send Dutch special forces in to rescue the family and get them safely to the Netherlands. The same is true for you today. As you, as you help that fellow student who has a disability, as you come alongside the elderly whose mobility or eyesight is diminishing, or as you step up to support the overlooked in our world, the forgotten in society. These are the moments where we become carriers of justice. We are bringing about the holy, righteous God, righteous rightness that God longs to see present in this world, and he's chosen to bring about that justice through us. You see, when we partner with God, like Pastor Michael or Heather or, or others, justice finds oxygen and oppression is suffocated. This week, uh, I did a, a couple funerals for two people who had committed their lives to Christ. You know, these are really sad moments, but in the same respect, moments of celebration as they receive their heavenly reward. You know, this is a reward that will be the final blow to injustice and oppression. Throughout Scripture, God is pretty clear that a day is coming when justice will ultimately prevail, when oppression will be eradicated. Just read near the end of the Bible, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Listen to this, verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I long for the day when those words become a reality. But can I tell you, those words have not become a reality yet. The, the final blow against injustice and oppression has not happened yet. There is coming a day when justice will ultimately finally come to this world. But until that day comes, God has placed you and I at this moment in history and time where he's called us to not just observe injustice, but to be carriers of justice. As we've been walking through this surrender challenge that we've talked about, the, the challenge to take five minutes each day with God, to use $5 each day to help someone, to take five minutes each day to serve someone, I want to encourage you to allow your time and resources to be used to bring about justice in our world. There's no question that relief will come to our world. As we talked about in past weeks, Mordecai talked to Esther as she was walking through this process of what to do when she found out about this edict to, to, to kill and annihilate all the Jews across the empire. And, and she's like, I can't do it. It's too dangerous. I, I could lose my life. Like, I'm the queen. I don't want to lose this position in this royal place that I'm in. And, and Mordecai said, who knows that you were placed there for such a time as this? And, and let me tell you, uh, Esther, relief will come. Whether it's through you or another means, relief will come. And here's the deal. Justice will come through one means or another. I want to be part of that. There's no question that relief is going to come, but we have this amazing privilege and opportunity to be part of the solution. 
I want to challenge you to stand up for the forgotten. Reach out and serve the poor. Remember the plight of the overlooked. As you do this, you are being used by God as carriers of his justice. This is the tension that we find ourselves in that often exists with this idea of justice. There's this gap. Gap between us getting the justice we feel we deserve versus helping bring justice to others in the world. Like there are all situations in our lives where we might go on about the justice we deserve. I deserve justice for this. My family deserves justice for that. Uh, those I represent or, or, or in my company or, or in society or whatever, like we deserve justice. Now, there's a gap between what we feel we deserve and us bringing about the justice that others long for. I want to speak to that tension real quick because it's something that has become, I believe, all-consuming in our world today, especially within the Christian community. Over the last few years, American Christians have been bent on bringing justice for us, the Christians of this nation, whether it be through political means, petitions, social media blitzes, boycotts, public demonstrations, we are bent on bringing about justice for us. Christians have expressed their frustrations regarding all kinds of different things over the sense of freedom and justice that we deserve and we demand. Now, please hear me. I say this in the most loving, compassionate way I can. If we are to follow the example of Christ, we should never be speaking up for our quote-unquote Christian rights or defending our own sense of justice. No, we are called to speak up for the George Floyds of our world, the Afghans, the Iraqis, those who are literally losing their lives, being beheaded for their faith in Jesus around the world by the hundreds of thousands. The Ethiopians who, who, who almost 60% of their population lack clean drinking water. That's over 70 million people without clean drinking water. That's more people than live in the entire northeast of the United States. Now, that might ruffle feathers about your own sense of justice. But this idea of biblical justice is not about getting justice for ourselves, but about putting others ahead of yourself and bringing about their justice. This is what Paul challenged the Philippians with. I believe challenges us with today. Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I would hope that your desire is to be united with Christ, to find comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Listen to this. Do nothing. Can you say with me nothing? Nothing. You didn't listen. You said nothing. I said say nothing. I'm just kidding. Um, do you know what the Greek word for nothing is? If you go back into like the lexicon and, and study this and, and go deep into the, the Greek meaning, do you know what nothing means? It means nothing. Like not anything. Not one thing. Not a single thing. Not, there, there's no exceptions. You got me? He said do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't do things simply that benefit you. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, let me explain what above means. Above means above. We are here, everyone else is here. What does that mean? Does that mean we get treated like a welcome mat? Yeah, sometimes. Does that mean we just take abuse? Not for the sake of abuse, but you know what? Jesus was hung on a cross. We have it right behind us. Uh, that was kind of abusive, right? Did, did he look for the opportunity? Not necessarily, but he was obedient to it. That means sometimes we're going to experience pain. Like sometimes things aren't going to go our way. Sometimes things will be uncomfortable. We don't do it for the sake of the pain. We do it for the sake of others. We put others above ourselves. And he goes on. If this wasn't enough, he keeps going. Verse four, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. What's that mean? Keeping your eyes on the justice of others, not simply on my own justice. Just as Esther put her life at risk, her own life to save her people, we are called to put others above ourselves, others' interests before our own interests, to bring about justice to our world. Why? Because God is a just God. Here's the challenge of American Christians that we faced. We talk about God's goodness, and we should, because he is good. But there are people literally dying around the world. And I'm not saying this to, like, get, get you know, uh, warm fuzzies or, you know, make you feel guilty or whatever. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But there are people who are literally dying around the world because of health issues, lack of clean drinking water, because of their faith in Jesus, who are suffering, walking through incredible pain. And we are so busy declaring to them that God is good in the midst of really difficult circumstances when they actually just need to know that God is just and that we can bring about justice in their situation. Whether that's helping bring drink, clean drinking water, well, whether that's helping them discover who Jesus is and how much he desperately loves them in the midst of their pain, but we can be so focused on declaring his goodness that we forgot about acting upon his justice. And the church in America has resources like the church doesn't have elsewhere in the world. We have influence and opportunity and money and time and, and all of these things that, that, that the global church doesn't necessarily possess. Why? Because it is our responsibility, our calling, to bring about God's justice. Now, we equate justice to like angry, you know, people going out and hurting people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bringing about the rightness of God to a world that is not right, to a world that is broken. Biblical justice isn't about accomplishing things through violent or destructive means, but God shifts the paradigm. Biblical justice is brought about through love. As the, as the worship team comes today, justice, this is a simple idea, justice without love is vengeance. Justice without love is vengeance. In, in Scripture, in both Deuteronomy and Romans, God makes it pretty clear. Vengeance is mine. Like, vengeance is, is God's, okay? I don't know about you, I don't, you know, we don't, I know my kids don't like this. If someone takes something that's rightfully theirs, Right? God is saying, vengeance is mine. Don't you worry about that. What's he called us to do? To express love. We bring about justice through the context and the avenue of love. 
Our responsibility is not vengeance. It's never vengeance. But to bring about justice for the outcast, for the overlooked and the forgotten through the avenue of God's unconditional, unreasonable, illogical love. That's what he's called us to. It's a love that doesn't make sense. It, it, it isn't usually deserved, but it's expressed because God is a just God. And there's something important about our view of God that we have so often distorted. We have this picture of God, like God is this loving, caring, incredible grandfather figure, so to speak, in our lives that can give us everything we ever could want or wish for. That God is this figure in our lives that just loves to encourage us and celebrate us and never push us beyond what's uncomfortable. God is that loving heavenly father. But he's also a father that is just. Just in the sense of he wants to bring about justice to a world that is void of it. In Esther's day, she was living in a Persian empire where God's justice was not present. We've talked about this throughout this month. You've been with us. Like King Xerxes was not a godly man. Haman was an evil man. Evil reigned in Persia. Justice did not. People were oppressed. People were put down. It was not a good place to live. Justice wasn't present. God sent Esther and Mordecai to bring justice. And they finally stepped out and did it. In Isaiah's day, God put Isaiah at that time and moment in history. He could have picked any moment in history, but he put Isaiah there. Why? Because that was a time where evil and justice was, was, where evil was present and justice wasn't seen. Because God wanted Isaiah to bring about his justice. And, and when I look at our lives, your life, you were born at a certain time, maybe this century or last century, and you live in your life, you have a job, you have a family, you, you walk through life, you go to the grocery store, you, you have your routines, you, you, you live in a certain neighborhood and place, you, 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 you have friends and, and acquaintances and coworkers and bosses and, and all, all this stuff. All of these circles of influence that you have in your life present. And, and maybe you don't do this very often. Oftentimes when we face the death of a loved one, we might reflect on this, but have you ever thought why now? Why did God place you where he has at this moment? Why weren't you born in the 1800s? Why weren't you born in the 1200s? Why weren't you born at a different time? Why now? Why here? Can I tell you an answer to that question? Because God saw an injustice, and he's put you there, not to bring it about for yourself, but to bring it about for others. See, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was sent to this earth. He's, he's born to Mary and Joseph. We, we celebrate that at Christmas. He, he, at Easter coming up, we're going to be talking about his, his, his crucifixion and resurrection. These are exciting moments in Christ's life. But here's what's crazy. He went to the cross and rose again three days later. Not for his good. It was for your good. It was about bringing justice to us. The book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross. For you and me, Jesus modeled this. 
Paul writes in Philippians 2 that, that he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of part of his deity by taking on the form of a man. It says becoming a servant even unto death. Why did he do that? For you. He's not asking you to bring about justice for yourself. He's asking us to be carriers of justice for others, for the overlooked, the oppressed, the poor, those who don't have what they need. And here's my challenge to you this week. I want to challenge you throughout your week, as you go throughout your week and whatever that looks like, whatever you've scheduled or planned, I want you to look for the marginalized. The marginalized in your workplace, the marginalized and overlooked, the mistreated, the forgotten in your school, in your neighborhood. Maybe there's that neighbor down the street that everyone hates. They're put down, they're overlooked. Maybe they're jerks and they deserve it. I'm not saying what we deserve and don't. I want you to look for the marginalized, the overlooked, the oppressed, those who are pushed aside, those who are put down. I want you to look for them. Look for them. Keep your eyes open for them. And when you find them, when, when they are brought in view, when you, when you lock eyes with that situation, I want you to bring about justice. Not with an iron fist, not with an angry heart, but with a hand of support, with love and with care. Be Jesus to those who are hurting. Be Jesus to those that are ignored. Be Jesus to those that are outcasts. See, justice comes into our world as God's people bring active compassion ultimately to those that need it most. As we wrap up today, I want to pray that God would push you out of what comfortable box you have found yourself in. You might be like, I am an out-of-the-box type of person. No, you are not. You're an American, you've got a box. You're a Christian American, and you've got a box. We all do. I want to pray that God would stretch you this week beyond what's comfortable for you, beyond your own paradigm, and actually make you a little bit uncomfortable and, 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 and step, to step out of the, the zone you found yourself in and the, the little uh, fence you've built to stay within. Why? Because that's where God moves in the most remarkable places and ways. Esther stepped out of her comfortable box. What was her box? I'm a Persian. I'm a Persian first, Jewish second. I'm the queen of Persia. I have a title. I have position. I have influence. I have a lot I can lose. Like that was her box. I've got all this stuff I can lose. I have all this stuff going for me. Let's not ruin a good deal right now. I've got the best job. I've got the best title. I've got the best paycheck. I live in the best house. Like, I've got it all figured out. Like, let's not rock the boat too much. I I don't want to ruin this good thing that's happening. And that was where Esther was. But it wasn't until she stepped out of her box into something uncomfortable to bring about justice for someone else that God started to move. What was going one way, God took it another way. Mordecai was going to be impaled, now he's honored. Haman, Haman was second in command. He was the top dog. He was revered. He was worshipped. He was adored, sometimes forced to, but, but he was. Now he's getting impaled. Like, that's the turn of circumstances. Why? Because one woman was willing to recognize the time that she'd been placed in. And to step out of what she had known was comfortable and familiar into something that was different. 
and be used by God to bring about justice. Not with an iron fist, but with love. That's what God calls for us to do in our world. And as we close, I want to pray for you. We're not going to sing a song or, 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 or anything like that. Why? Because I believe that acting upon what we're talking about today isn't going to happen in this room. It happens outside the walls of this room. It's going to happen in your, your, your schedule. You look on your phone or your calendar for this week, it's going to happen in what you read right there. What's listed on your schedule, what's listed in your calendar, what's listed in your routine, how you're going to go about your day. It's, that's, that's where what we're talking about is going to happen. And I want to pray that God would give you an awareness, a boldness, and a courage that when injustice comes your way, when you see the overlooked, the oppressed, the, the downtrodden, when, when it comes in view, that you're ready to roll, that you step out. You bring justice with love, care, concern to those that need it most. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you. Lord, that when we were yet sinners, when we didn't deserve it, when, when, when caution says we were enemies to God in our own minds, Jesus, you yet still died for us. You sacrificed everything for us. Why? Because God so loved the world. I thank you that you gave. Lord, when we didn't deserve it, thank you for giving for us. Thank you for seeing the injustice when we fell short and bringing about justice and making us righteous. Thank you for loving us and caring for us when we could have never earned it or deserve it. God, I pray this week as your followers, as those that carry your presence, your power, your authority in this world, as those that, that, that are called to show your love to those we encounter, Lord, I pray this week that you would bring people into our path Bring people into our view and our busy schedules and all that we have planned. God, bring people into our lives who are experiencing injustice. God, bring people into our lives who are overlooked, who are oppressed, who are put down, who are forgotten. Lord, bring those people into our lives Lord, that they could encounter God's justice through his people. God, that we would be carriers of justice this week. God, that we would love, care for, and serve those that need it most. God, I thank you for what you're doing through us. More importantly, Lord, I thank you for the little moments you're circling right now in our schedules, our calendars this week. You're saying, man, there's that moment. It's gonna happen. Holy Spirit, prepare us for that moment. Give us the courage to step out, to be uncomfortable, Lord, to step out of what's in our box. God, let us bring about justice, the justice of God. Not just declare the goodness of God, but let us be carriers of your justice. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. God, let us as a church be an example to the world around us that we're not here to fight for our justice. We're here to fight for the justice of the overlooked, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the forgotten, those that society would dismiss. God, we are here to fight for their justice because, Lord, you are a just God and you've called us to it. God, bless us and strengthen us, I pray, this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 